Detroit Today is supported by Waterwork Plumbing, providing licensed and insured plumbing and drain service for Metro Detroit homes and businesses. Learn more at waterworkplumbing.com. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. A little later in the show, we're going to welcome State Senator Phil Pavlo, a Republican from St. Clair. He represents the 25th Senate District here in Michigan to the program. He is going to sit opposite me today, as we do often on Mondays. We welcome somebody into the studio who thinks about things a little differently than I do, who sees the world a little differently. We're going to talk about all of the news that's unfolding in Michigan politics with Phil. But first, President Trump's nominee to replace Justice Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court moves to the next stage of confirmation this week. That's after Judge Brett Kavanaugh faced a week of hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee that swirled with controversy and brought raucous protests from the gallery. More than 200 people were arrested throughout the week as they expressed their anger and their frustration in the hearing room, disrupting the procedures over and over again. Meanwhile, Democrats on the panel tried to put up a resistance. They called immediately for a delay in the hearings until they could see and review documents that were either kept from the committee or dumped on them in the last minute. They also asked very pointed questions of Kavanaugh all week and appeared at times to catch him in some fibbing. So what comes next for the Kavanaugh nomination? Will it be a relatively easy path to the confirmation at this point, or is there a chance something could still be standing in his way. That's where we want to co- start the conversation this morning with the coming week in the Kavanaugh confirmation process. And joining us to talk about that is Libby Casey. She's an on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for the Washington Post. Libby, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning and happy Monday. Yes. Uh, maybe a happy Monday for Brett Kavanaugh, but I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> um, so let's talk about uh, what happened last week and start with the question of whether anything materially changed during these hearings. I mean, uh, going into the hearings, Brett Kavanaugh had some of the lowest approval ratings of of a Supreme Court nominee in recent history, but he had the votes in the Senate, uh, at least appeared to have the votes in the Senate to be confirmed. Did, Did the hearings last week put any of that in doubt? He still has the votes. I don't think there's any doubt that he's got all the Republicans on board. He may even have some Democrats, and we're still waiting to see if those red state Democrats who are up for re-election this year go for confirmation or not. But even without them, Stephen, uh, it's 5149. Mm-hmm. So uh, nothing changed. Now, Democrats do believe they had some wins in terms of the politics last week. Uh, I talked to one Democratic senator who sits on the Judiciary Committee midweek who said, look, we want the American public more tuned in to this. We want them to see our concerns. Um, and they feel like they were able to make some some waves there, but they just didn't change the trajectory of the confirmation process. Yeah. Uh, and that is despite some pretty intense grilling of Brett, yeah. Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh by some Democrats on the, on the Judiciary Committee. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris really did seem to take after him, not just about his politics, but about his transparency, about his truthfulness. And it, they are claiming, at least at this point, that they caught him uh, in in some lying, in 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 saying some things that that weren't true, 
Does that not matter at all in this uh, this equation? You know, Republicans, every time they had a chance to ask Judge Kavanaugh questions, they just kept returning to their mantras of this is a qualified judge. You know, there's been a lot of your documentation and paperwork released over the years. And Republicans are right. This is someone with a huge paper trail because Mm -hmm. he has been involved in D.C. politics for a long time, as well as a sitting judge for more than a decade. But Democrats are also right. There were all of these documents that were not released. They were, in some cases, withheld entirely. In other cases, only released to committee members and then stamped committee confidential, literally with a big stamp across them. (laughs) So the public, journalists, we couldn't see them. And Dianne Feinstein, the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, pointed out that in the past, things have been marked committee confidential when both sides agreed. In this case, there did seem to be partisan documents in there that Republicans were withholding. And you mentioned two players on this committee, uh, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, who are junior members of the committee, which means they had to wait a very long time (laughs) to get their questions answered. The first night of big questions, uh, Senator Harris didn't come until after it was dark, basically, here in D.C. But they uh, really pushed and they pointed out, along with other Democrats, that, that they wanted this information. Cory Booker even going so far, along with Maisie Hirono, as saying, you know, I'm going to release some of these documents, even if the committee doesn't put them forth. Now, Stephen, the committee released some of them a couple days in last minute, but they weren't labeled confidential for things like social security numbers or sensitive secret information about, you know, government secrets that, that you know, are about the protection of this country. No, they were really about politics. Mm-hmm. And so Cory Booker and others did have a valid point when they were saying, we want these to be released. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Libby Casey. She's an on-air reporter and anchor, covers politics and accountability for The Washington Post. Uh, we are talking about the confirmation process for Brett Kavanaugh, a judge on a federal appeals court who's seeking a seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. His hearings took place last week in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. They go forward now. Uh, what do you think about what uh, those hearings looked like and sounded like in Washington? Did you hear the things that you wanted to hear from Brett Kavanaugh to be sure that he would be a good justice on the U.S. Supreme Court? Were you concerned about some of the things that came out during that hearing? Uh, questions that he didn't seem to answer truthfully, uh, at least in the initial going? Or do you think all of this is just a big political show and Democrats who don't have the votes to stop Kavanaugh from getting that seat on the U.S. Supreme Court should just uh, maybe stand down a little bit and not make such a big deal of this. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Libby, I want to ask about what we expect from the full Senate uh, in in this week, uh, considering this this nomination, will it will it look any different? Also, the protests uh, mm. that that took place last week. So, you know, in a former life, uh, I was a Supreme Court correspondent for Knight Ritter newspapers, and I covered both uh, Chief Justice John Roberts' confirmation hearings and Sam Alito's confirmation hearings. They were really different. From what I saw last week, uh, the very stark images of not only the protesters in the room, but the protesters out in the hall uh, mm-hmm. uh, wearing uh, very uh, uh, striking costumes in some cases, really trying to make very 
bold points about Brett Kavanaugh. Are we going to see that continue as the full Senate uh, considers this? And is there going to be, I guess, inside the chamber even more fireworks? Covering the Supreme Court is one of the most fascinating beats, mm-hmm. I, I think, in this country. So I, I love that you have that history. Because <laughs> it was a great time. <laughs> the, it, there's so much drama that happens just in the legal arguments inside the court. But last week, it blew out, you know, very publicly in a mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. that we really don't see. And you mentioned at the start of the program that this is a very controversial nominee. Most nominees who've been this controversial, think back to Bork, mm-hmm. uh, haven't actually gotten confirmed. This is a very different case. Yeah. He's controversial. The American public is divided on him, but it's still going forward because he has the votes. And we did see a lot of protests last week, especially a lot of young women uh, talking about their concerns about abortion. But we also saw disability rights activists there. We saw people of all races and genders and ages mm-hmm. uh, protesting this hearing. So it was it was you know a, a big display um, that was put on. But what might have been the biggest thing was that Democrats. As the hearings started last Tuesday, fresh off the Labor Day holiday, within seconds of the chairman gaveling in and starting his, you know, sort of a calm opening statement, Mm -hmm. Democrats jumped in and said, I I object. We have to stop. We've got to get these documents, thousands of pages, hundreds of thousands of pages that we have not been able to talk about and access. On Labor Day night, more than 40,000 pages were released to the committee. And, uh, you know, people like Amy Klobuchar were saying, you know, (laughs) obviously no one can read 40,000 documents overnight. Um, And so the Democratic effort to just slow this process down and try to put forth objections, that's what really stood out. Now, did they get anywhere? Now, politically, they they made a point. They were able to get a couple of documents put forward that did influence how the conversation went. For example, the New York Times broke a story last week that in an email, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, back when he was working for George W. Bush, wrote about Roe v. Wade and abortion law. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he said, look, this may not be settled law because three of the justices on the court back at that time would overturn it. This is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And because that was reported on, then Senator Feinstein said, well, it's out there. I'm going to ask you about it now because it's public. Um, And she didn't make the big display that Cory Booker did. I mean, he literally said, this is my Spartacus moment. I'm going to release these. I don't get I don't care if I get kicked off the Senate (laughs) committee, much less the Senate itself. Feinstein was a little more of like the old school subtle. Oh, look, it's out there. It's been reported. So I'm going to just talk about it with you now. Um, Kavanaugh deflected and said, oh, I was just giving some legal and analysis. Mm-hmm. I wasn't saying I don't believe Roe v. Wade is settled law. It did reveal, though, his line of thinking. And and Democrats found that very significant. And to people who believe in abortion rights, very troubling. Um, but Kavanaugh was able to, you know, really weave and dance and not let the punches land in part, Stephen, because he has trained other people to do this, to prepare. Yes, yeah. exactly. So he really knew how to like not answer questions and say, any cases that could come before me, whether they're about racial classification, whether they're about gun rights and gun control or abortion, I don't feel like I can answer. Yeah. And I'm going to say for Democrats, a really big one right now, and for some Republicans, is presidential power sure. and whether or not a president can be subpoenaed. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Brett in Ann Arbor. Brett, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, and thanks, guests, for being on. Um, I had a question regarding 
Uh, the two instances that have been reported on slightly, uh, specifically the confirmation of uh, pick, Judge Pickering um, mm-hmm. from the early 2000s, and I guess the emails that were later released um, first held confidential that implicated uh, Kavanaugh in being involved in that when he said under oath to the Senate in the 2000s that he wasn't involved at all in any capacity. And then again, with the leaked documents during the Bush administration, uh, the stolen DNC emails um, that he also denied under oath and then was implicated in the documents released this week with the email specifically addressed to him referencing those emails. Um, and so I wondered what it would look like if they do confirm him. And then later, if, if Democrats take control of the House next year, or the president 2020, could they subpoena slash uh, charge a sitting Supreme Court justice of perjury? Hmm. And what would that look like? Hmm. Uh, Brett, thanks very much for the call uh, and the questions. Libby Casey, I'll give you a crack at uh, what he's talking about there. Brett was paying great attention last week, and I think Democrats would be very happy at the fact that he learned so much. Um, when Justice, Ka- well, excuse me, Judge Kavanaugh, not yet Justice, hello. When Judge Kavanaugh was first going before the Senate to be confirmed as a judge, this is more than a decade ago, there were a lot of questions about what he did behind the scenes working for George W. Bush for this Charles Pickering. Um, and also, what his involvement was or his knowledge was of documents that were stolen by a Republican staffer on the Judiciary Committee, um, stolen uh, from people who still sit on this committee, like Senator Leahy, um, someone who really wanted answers about this. Uh, and at the time, he really deferred and said he, he first of all, was not really involved in, uh, in, in the vetting of Mr. Pickering, and then also that he had no knowledge of, the, of these stolen documents that were kind of given over um, to, to give intel about how committee members would be asking questions. Um, and so Democrats were able to get access to some emails, and there was some confusion because it does seem like Mr. Kavanaugh did uh, have his hands on documents relating to Judge Pickering. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he, so this was the questions that they were trying to get at. Did you lie to us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back in the 2000s? Are you telling the truth now? And they, they still just really weren't able to get him in any sort of a bind. I mean, he, he didn't have any anxiety on his face. He was just able to sort of say, look, I, here's what happened. Republicans, when it was their turn to ask questions, they would put it really bluntly. Judge Kavanaugh, did you know documents were stolen? No. Did you have any knowledge that these documents were, you know, something you shouldn't be looking at? Mm-hmm. No. And so they were able to give him the chance to sort of open and shut. Uh, you know, I think Brett asked a great question of what happens. Uh, Democrats kept warning more documents will come to light. Mm-hmm. They'll come out over time. Um, there's really no precedent that, that we can look to, to in, in modern era to know what would happen if, if that came about. But. I mean, I can only point to Clarence Thomas. You know, mm-hmm, there's been mm-hmm. a reckoning with the Me Too movement and questions about how Anita Hill was treated back when she testified under oath that Clarence Thomas had uh, sexually harassed her on the job. And there's no reckoning there. I right. mean, the, people are talking about it. We're exploring it. Um, but it's it's not like Clarence Thomas is in any threat of losing his seat on the bench. Yeah, I mean, and the idea of impeaching a Supreme Court uh, justice would be a huge political uh, question in in not just in Washington but nationally. I mean, uh, th- it's not something that we have seen 
in modern times at least uh, uh, unfold. Uh, and so I think that's one of the reasons that uh, that we don't hear that kind of reckoning after somebody's already on the bench. And uh, that's why Democrats are so desperate to make an impact now. And you have to wonder, you know, why why did it take a couple of days last week for people like Cory Booker? Like, what was their strategy? Because it mm-hmm. took a couple of days for him to finally say, I am willing to get kicked out of the Senate to get these records made public. Um, But it's like Democrats were doing a slow build over days and Republicans were just thwarting them because they have the numbers. They have more people on the Judiciary Committee and in the Senate than Democrats do. So they were able to put up all these roadblocks along the way. Yeah. Uh, Maggie on Facebook says, my big takeaway is that this hearing was a charade. There are big problems with this candidate, but Republicans aren't even trying to pretend anymore that there's a real Procedure withholding documents, questions about baseball, and his sharpie. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Nancy on Facebook says, I think the withholding of documents and hammering this confirmation through when they wouldn't even give Merrick Garland the time of day is shameful. If Kavanaugh is truly worthy, let us see. Don't hide it. Withholding those documents speaks volumes and not favorably. There are only 56 days until the midterms. It'd do those who are up for re-election good to show fairness because we will remember it at the polls. Thanks very much, uh, Maggie and Nancy. Let's go to Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. It's an interesting moment for me on Detroit Today because I I phoned in and spoke with Laura and I told her that I wanted to sort of challenge your notion about whether uh, Judge Kavanaugh had said anything untruthful in his testimony before Hmm. the committee. Mm -hmm. And your previous caller, Brett from Ann Arbor, uh, touched upon the two things that I think are are the only things that come even close to uh, well, those are the two things that people those are the two things that people are talking about. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, but but I mean, I, I I don't know that there was anything close to being untruthful on the part of uh, Judge Kavanaugh's uh, testimony. But at least Brett uh, Brett was listening closely to the hearing as I was, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it, we'll we'll always argue about those uh, those documents. Um, uh, that were recovered, that were taken by a Republican Senate Judiciary Committee staffer off of the system, which was unsecured. And they were not secret documents. They were not classified documents. Mm -hmm. They were just embarrassing memos between the staffs of Senators Kennedy and Durbin back when a noted uh, Latino conservative judge was being proposed by the Republicans for the... um, uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and transparently the Democrats wanted to kill that nomination uh, because they thought he'd be an attractive Supreme Court nominee someday. Mm. And it was embarrassing for the Democrats, and it was a huge fight. And the fact that that um, uh, Judge Kavanaugh ever looked at any of those memos um, is is totally irrelevant. He had nothing to do with any of the underlying controversy. Mm. But but Brett already touched on the issue. I'll turn, uh, Stephen, to another interesting thing. Last night on CNN, I watched the Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, documentary. The RBG documentary, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw and that I was, that was on. I was completely struck by the civility with which uh, Orrin Hatch, there was old video of Orrin Hatch um, uh, uh, examining uh, Judge Ginsburg at the time of her Supreme Court confirmation hearing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, she was confirmed with um, about 96 Senate votes, I think. Yes. The, se- the, the Republicans on the Senate said, we don't agree with you. You wouldn't be our nominee. Um, we, we disagree on all kinds of things. 
but you're the nominee and we're going to treat you with respect and we're going to vote on the basis that the president gets to pick his nominees for the court and we're going to vote for you because you are unquestionably qualified for the court even though we disagree with you Mm -hmm. and compare that to what the Democrats are doing nowadays. Well, okay, Chuck, but the truth is that there's a very different era in Washington. That's also a very different era even of uh, the Supreme Court uh, when when uh, Justice Ginsburg was nominated. And if you go back that far, you can point to Republican justices uh, who were confirmed uh, with very little opposition and where the, the hearings were much more civil than what we saw uh, last week. I'm not sure that that's, that's proof that the Democrats are somehow uh, to blame for, for, for all of that. I think the process has devolved to the point it has gotten at this point uh, because of both sides changing the way that they think about uh, the Supreme Court, the way they think about nominees, and the way they think about the sort of positioning uh, that they want to sort of adopt uh, with regard to those seats uh, from a political standpoint. Um, Libby Casey, uh, I'll give you a chance to talk about that, that process and how it might look different today than it did, what, 25, uh, almost 30 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. It is a fair point that times have changed. But Democrats say there is so much on the line right now, not only because Justice Kennedy, the swing vote on the court is being replaced by potentially uh, Brett Kavanaugh, but also because of the unusual times we're living in with President Trump's win, the special counsel that's now looking into Russia interference in the midterm election, Mm -hmm. and a big looming concern over what a ninth Supreme Court justice would do when it comes to presidential power and whether or not a president can be subpoenaed. That's right. And and this is a crucial issue because Judge Kavanaugh may be a deciding vote on the future Supreme Court when it comes to just how far presidential power goes and where its limits are. And so I think Democrats were making a calculation. We may be seen as being aggressive. We may be seen as being out of turn. But our base wants us to fight and with fury and with fire and to come out swinging here. And so they decided to take that tactic. Um, you know, I, I think our caller brought up a, a couple of important points. Were there any smoking guns in the emails that were revealed? Mm-hmm. Well, there were some questions about his prior testimony. But when it comes to things like his views on abortion, which seemed a bit murkier mm-hmm. after we saw some released documents. Republicans hope their base remembers this at the election. So Democrats um, want their base to be concerned about his position on Roe v. Wade. But Republicans really want this guy confirmed so yes. they can go to voters in the fall and say, sure, there's an investigation about Russian interference in the election. <laughs> and sure, the, the president is you know, alleged to, uh, to be unhinged, according to his advisors, in a new book by Bob Woodward. But look, <laughs> we got two Supreme Court justices on the court. We are fulfilling our goal and our promise to you. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that he has questioned whether Roe v. Wade is settled law is, is really music to Republicans' ears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but times have changed. And, and Democrats would say, it's it, yes, there's political rancor, but there's also so much on the line. And I do have to point out one thing, because I was going back and watching all these Clarence Thomas hearings. This mm-hmm. is why this is on my mind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those Republicans may have uh, handled 
um, nominees with with a politeness and sense of decorum. They sure didn't treat Anita Hill they that way. They did not treat her that no. way. So right. I just I bring that up only because it is so relevant now in this in this moment when we're questioning how um, how we all talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know. We need to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Libby Casey uh, about Bob Woodward's book and the anonymous op-ed that showed up in the New York Times. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Libby Casey. She's an on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for The Washington Post. We're talking about last week's Senate Judiciary Committee hearings uh, on the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to be the 114th Justice of the United States Supreme Court. We're talking about where that uh, nomination is headed now that it goes to the full Senate and, of course, the political context under which this nomination and the hearing process takes place. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313 577 1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Libby, I wanted to change the subject just a little, although I don't know that it's a, an entirely different subject, uh, given the sort of uh, connectedness of, of these things in Washington. But uh, talk about the mood at the White House right now with the upcoming release of Bob Woodward's scathing book, Fear, as well as this anonymous New York Times op-ed from supposedly a top official. We don't know who that is, and we don't yet know the, the Times vetting process for uh, for publishing that op-ed, although I understand that may be coming. Uh, what What is the White House's sort of reaction today to those things? Yeah, bad week to be a White House staffer sure. because everyone's really under suspicion right now, and there's a lot of uh, distrust. President Trump tweeting just this morning, reacting uh, to NBC's Today Show interview with Bob Woodward, um, that uh, Woodward is a liar, um, who's like a Democratic operative prior to the midterms. This is the president's own words on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and accusing uh, him of making things up because it's anonymously sourced uh, in terms of who his deep sources are. Um, so President Trump is on the warpath, for sure. And we even see people like Vice President Pence having to sort of you know, tap dance his way through interviews. Yesterday he was saying, you know, when asked if anyone on his staff could have written it, he sort of didn't have a full answer. And then he came back after a break and said, no, 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 let me be very clear. No one on my staff, I know no one on my staff wrote this email. So yeah, there's a lot of anxiety and stress. And the Woodward book is selling quite well. It comes out this week. Um, And it is, you know, people say, well, what's different about this? What's new about this? We've already seen reports that the president uses inappropriate language to, to talk about people. Um, we, we already know that, you know, some of the, the, the things that have come up here about how his aides are maybe doing one thing while the president asks them to do something else. But Woodward's reputation and his meticulous note taking, the, the sort of receipts, in a sense, that he's been able to, to keep. And he even we even saw one release last week, a memo that he reported that Gary Cohn economic advisor took off the president's desk Mm -hmm. so he wouldn't sign it related to trade. Well, we've now seen that memo. Um, So the Woodward book brings this into sort of a crystallized focus here in Washington. Mm. I I think my question is, will people in the rest of the country, 
do they care about this idea of anonymous sources? Because I've had friends outside the Beltway say, I really don't trust things that say anonymous sources. I don't get why reporters have to keep using these anonymous <laughs> sources. And I think one thing it's important to know is that they're not anonymous to editors. They're not anonymous to the reporter. It's not right. like someone passes me a tip and I don't know who gave it to me. Um, you know, So will the American public focus on that or will they focus on the substance of Woodward's book, which says things like the president wanted to assassinate Bashar al-Assad of Syria. Right. And General Mattis, his defense secretary, like hangs up the phone and turns to the room and says, we're not going to do that. <laughs> That's not going <laughs> so, like, to happen. So who's in control, right? General Mattis or President Trump? Yeah. You know, uh, when you talk about the way in which we use anonymous sources uh, and when we talk about this op-ed in The Times, as you say, uh, journalists have to rely on anonymous sources uh, from time to time because that really is the only way to get some vital information into the paper or onto the radio or onto the television. At the same time, I feel like uh, this Times op-ed was a little different in the sense that, first of all, I can't think of another instance of an anonymous op-ed appearing someplace. But because that's true, I guess I was expecting that there would be a fuller explanation of how they came to make this decision. Uh, there are all kinds of protocols that unfold in a newsroom when you have an anonymous source and, and things that have to be checked or verified or, or things like that. We didn't get from the Times an assurance that the same process, I guess, attended this uh, editorial decision, which is very different than the kind of things that, that uh, unfold in a newsroom. And I, I, I wondered why that wasn't, uh, why we didn't get that last week. Yeah, and part of it is this firewall that exists between the opinion side of the paper and the news side of the paper. And I saw some prominent, one prominent, in fact, New York Times reporter tweeting out right after the op-ed came out last week, something like, oh, great. So now we reporters are going to have to work and scramble to try to figure out who this person is and essentially out them or learn more about it while, you know, the answer is just right across the hall. Right, Um, right. But as far as we know, only three people, we believe, have um, knowledge of who this person is. Mm -hmm. Um, Not even the paper's executive editor is said to know, according to the New York Times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just people who are involved in the editorial page, the editorial page editor, the op-ed editor, and then the publisher. Right. Um, And so it is, you know, closely guarded. And you know, it, it was like the one-two of having Woodward's book excerpts come out and then the very next day having this anonymous op-ed come out. The, the collision of the two seemed to uh, call extra attention to what just what is going on inside sure. the White House and inside the administration. But, you know, none of us know. And in a sense, it's sort of like a guessing game, a parlor game here. Who could it be? But on the other hand, this is very serious. It's very and important. There are some concerns raised here and also just some questions that we can all learn from about how journalism works and how and, and, and how important it is to protect sources, but also how important it is to be able to verify that someone is who they say they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that they're telling you the truth. Uh, I mean, that's that's the thing that you're always uh, sort of got your mind on when you're when you're dealing with these kinds of sources. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Uh, I was watching the hearings as much as I could, and I didn't notice anything about any discussion about the Me Too movement that's happening in the Catholic Church right now. Mm-hmm. And as I looked at the the television and I saw that the judge there with his daughters and some of the responses from the Republicans were that, you know, this is not fit for all ages, this discussion about anything that was taking place. And I thought, you know, mm-hmm. th- these are adult hearings and 
we need to discuss everything. And the elections in the fall are going to be decided by people in the suburbs. And a lot of Roman Catholics are struggling with their religion right now. And Mm -hmm. this might be the fifth Roman Catholic justice on the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about Roe v. Wade. It's about this cover-up that's been going on maybe all the way to the Vatican, you know, in another Mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I wonder why... None of the senators or the newspapers <clears throat> are talking about this. Huh. That, Robert, that's a really interesting point. Uh, I'm not sure that I uh, necessarily agree that, that somebody's religion ought to be the focus of uh, their Supreme Court nomination hearing, but but I do hear what you're saying about the sort of cultural context of uh, this nomination and this moment. Uh, Libby Casey, uh, is there any whispering even about mm-hmm. uh, about uh, Brett Kavanaugh's religion or how he will fit into the religious sort of uh, pantheon or spectrum, I guess, uh, on the Supreme Court? Well, he is Catholic, and we did see last week the states of New York and New Jersey launch new investigations mm-hmm. into the Catholic Church and, and try to sort of dig up just how, not just what has happened, but how the church has handled allegations of abuse and misconduct over the decades. Um, so there, it is a great question of sort of what's happening at the legal level. Um, but no, it, it really wasn't an issue last week. And Brett Kavanaugh did hold up his family life, um, mm-hmm. as and Republicans did as well, of his volunteer work, you know, his time coaching, his girls, uh, his role as a husband. Um, but it did have a little bit of, a, uh, of an air of um, you know, his strong mother, of when Democrats would say, what are you going to do to protect women's rights? The default answer sort of became, I know a lot of strong women. I, I really care about strong women. I, <laughs> I, I donate my time. Um, the same thing about racial profiling and racial classifications. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't want to change the subject away from Catholicism because it's a very important question. But when he was a private lawyer more than a decade ago, he wrote that he did believe that someday the Supreme Court would rule that in the eyes of the government, we are all one race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's a really important concept. And it's of great concern to people who believe that affirmative action is still powerful and necessary in this country. And when it came up, Brett Kavanaugh would talk about how he's had a lot of clerks who are African-American, how he has really tried to help people along the way of mm-hmm. all races mm-hmm. and backgrounds. But it, but it almost had this ring of like, you know, I have a black friend. Yeah. I, I know some strong women. Um, and so I don't think Democrats get any satisfaction from him talking about his own personal life. Um, his religion just did not come up in the context of critical questions. I don't think any of us see yet a trajectory where some of these issues with the Catholic Church take the route of going to the Supreme Court, but that could certainly happen in the future. The problem is so many of these cases are outside of the statute of limitations. So at the state level, attorneys general are wrestling with just how far to go with these investigations. How do you even do this? And how do you do it? And can you change the laws on a statewide level? Yeah. Okay, Libby Casey, on-air reporter and anchor covering politics and accountability for The Washington Post. Always great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much. Up next, we're going to speak with Republican State Senator Phil Pavlo about Michigan's new minimum wage law, whether Republicans will gut it after the election, and all the latest state political news. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out. Just go to iTunes. Or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.